the finance role revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. This is the Generation CFO podcast, the podcast about finance people and the role revolution being brought about by technology. My name is Chris Argent and thank you for listening. And if you are enjoying what I'm doing, please subscribe. There's always something good coming up and it would be great to see you listening regularly. Also, if you do want to leave us a review, five stars would be great. It's always encouraging to see those comments and reviews coming in. And we we really are trying to sort of offer listeners what they want. So if you do want to comment on the podcast, then go to generationcfo.com forward slash podcasts and uh, comment on the individual ones on our website. So today we have a real disruptor. I'm not sure whether I really like that word, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. We were with Henry Taipele from Quivalia. Quivalia is a, is a company in Stockholm, Sweden, that's uh, providing a platform for people to automate transactional processes, but they're doing it in a very, very different way to, let's say, the RPA approach, where we are sort of replacing the human in that capability change. So it's worth a listen. I think the really interesting part for me was was just the journey that Henry's been on. He sort of started out as a reluctant accountant, didn't really enjoy the studies that he was doing in that area. And as he said himself, has kind of been challenging the value of that ever since. And I, and I think there's a lot of reluctant accountants out there trying to push for higher value roles. So uh, I think that chimed with me and hopefully with a lot of you guys. He started out in a very entrepreneurial environment. His family had businesses and uh, also his father was working in tax. And I think it was almost like a perfect storm for, for Henry to think about the problem of transactional processing and to try and fix it. And uh, it's actually a really interesting story. When we talk about these things, they can be quite dry. But Henry has been on a, on a great journey, and I think it's exciting for us because the capability that's coming in now, and uh, he talks about his own company, Cavalia, can really make a step change in this area. And uh, he talks about his early experience in making this change and his own thought leadership in this area around sort of wholesale change of the processes and the way he would go about it. We talk a little bit about RPA and, and the pros and cons of that. And uh, that's not what he's sort of doing. So uh, listen to what he proposes there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really interesting take on the wider business and the capability that they're providing. And whether even though finance sort of are being asked to come to this data party and this automation party, you know, will they? And uh, if they don't, are the teams going to get there first? Are the operations teams going to get there first? And then uh, what does that mean for finance? So, you know, the whole journey and, and Henry's thought leadership is really worth listening to. And uh, I hope you enjoy this pod. But first of all, here's a word from our sponsors. So this podcast is brought to you by SSON Week the uh, largest, the world's largest shared service and outsourcing network. 
And um, they've got a really exciting event coming up in Lisbon in Portugal, which I'm going to try and make. It's the it's from the 13th to the 16th of May, so uh, next month. So your your diary should definitely be available for that one. I really like what these guys do because they started out um, very much in the ERP space, but now they're driving a lot of the innovation conversations. You know, trying to empower. The, the the management and the leadership within shared services which may you know have been neglected in the past but now we're sort of saying no these are the driving forces behind innovation driving forces behind you know change and really adding value and the more you go up that shared service uh, value chain you know the better and the opportunities are there and that is coming through um, from the guests that they have there as well and, and the panel discussions and the keynote speeches that they're having. You know, a couple of the names, um, Amazon, obviously we've all heard of, you know, Mars, Tesco's, uh, Heineken. And if it's sunny over there, that'll be a good shout. And, um, you know, Adidas and, and Vodafone, you know, big, big names going to have really insightful keynotes. And I would have thought lots of discussions around use cases and business cases that have got those companies to where they need to be. So uh, it's the, the 19th annual Shared Service Outsourcing Week on the 13th to the 16th of May. And uh, if you'd like to sign up, using the short url because it's got a very long one um, on the website which i won't read out but it's bit.ly forward slash sson cfo chat so that's bit.ly forward slash sson cfo chat and i hope to see you there and on with the pod Welcome to the Generation CFO podcast, hashtag CFO chat. And today we are joined by Henry Taipele, who's the CEO of Quivalia. You may have heard me talking about Quivalia. I've written a few co-articles with them recently about the innovations that they're making. And uh, they're an exciting company in the Nordics in Stockholm in Sweden. And Henry joins me today. Good morning, Henry. Yeah, good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem. How is Stockholm today? I was about to say lovely, but it's actually not. It's snowing. So we, we had spring, but, but it, it's winter again. So snow means bad, because in the UK, snow means good. It means everyone yeah. gets a day off because we can't deal with the snow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, well, we do have to get to work, but it's just more traffic. So. <laughs> right, I see. Yeah, on a skidoo, maybe. I like it. I've got, I've got all these romantic images of Sweden, so uh, I'll have to pop over there one day and, and see whether they're true. But look, thank you for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about sort of what you're doing with Kravalia and kind of the journey to get to where you are today, because so many CFOs and finance professionals today are probably on a similar journey, but you have kind of led the thought leadership, I think, in some of the changes that you want to make in finance operations, you know, it'd be great to hear your story on that. So to kick off, where did your career start? And in a nutshell, how did you get to the point where you were founding, say, Quivalia? Yeah, yeah it's, it's actually quite a long story, I suppose. Uh, first of all, I, I never really had a proper job. I'm coming from an entrepreneurial family. So, so I've actually been self-employed all my life. 
And it goes back to me being involved in my father's company. And he was working with, with taxation. And from there, I learned that, you know, people make a lot of mistakes with tax. It's a very complicated field, especially with international tax as well. Yeah. And I started to investigate how could we actually start to systematically find these various types of mistakes. And did that. It was a long learning experience and learning how to actually do a data extract from, from large ERP systems. And then with statistical analysis, identify transactions which could be deviating in some sense. And mm. from that perspective, then we learned that, okay, we can actually find these mistakes using these statistical methods. And those statistical methods, we could actually apply to different fields as well, not only tax, but to you know, overpayments, double payments, wrong pricing from suppliers and so forth. And from there, the business actually started going into companies and helping them sorting out these transactions. Scaled it up into the Nordics, but actually already probably about five years ago, started pondering about that, hang on a second, this doesn't really make sense. Companies with 80, 90% electronic invoices, they should not be committing these mistakes over and over again. Yeah. This, again, led me to start investigating that what's wrong in managing transactions in, in organizations. And what we basically came up with was that, you know, even if the transaction itself is digital, we haven't changed our processes. The processes look exactly the same as they used to be in back in the 80s. We just manage the transaction digitally, but we're not the digital as organizations. And that led in return to us building a platform where we actually manage all this information in, in a more digital way. Wow, that is a, a great story, even in a nutshell. So let me just go back a bit because you probably whizzed through, I don't know, is that about 20 years there? <laughs> if I go back, there's a couple of things that you mentioned there. One, sort of entrepreneurship. Two, getting tax wrong. And then kind of the, the fundamental shift in, I don't know, do you know, what would you call it? Transaction automation or, or even transaction revolution in a way. But the first one, you know, you, you came from an entrepreneurial environment. Given what you know now about, about sort of Kovalia and working in the CFO space, what sort of advice would you give on being more entrepreneurial? And, and what would you think? the benefits are if we do do that. The reason why I ask that is that we see a lot of leadership courses talking about a growth mindset and a lot of the teams that I've worked in, even within big companies, have effectively been startups and you've had to just, you know, do everything to get stuff done. And it'd just yeah. be interesting to get your take on, yeah, you know, starting out in an entrepreneurial way. I mean, to be honest, I think we have to be entrepreneurial and especially when the information that we manage is digital. Because everything is, is getting more and more fast-paced, which means that whatever information I'm managing as a CFO or in accounting, that's actually operational data as well. It's the same information, which means that we don't have time anymore to reflect and think. We have to be there with the operation and actually also more customer-oriented in order to better guide and run our businesses. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, you remind me of a couple of conversations I had with some of the data scientists that I worked with in the past when we were running sort of analytics projects. And they just view what we do in finance completely differently. It's almost like maybe as accountants, you know, we're trained to look at things in a particular way. 
you know, how we structure data, how we structure processes, you know, what sort of output we provide. But when I spoke to some of the data scientists out there, they really challenge why we do things in that way. And I think the simple answer that I've found is we look at things from a compliance perspective, whereas they look at things from a a sort of data perspective. You know, if they've got that skill set, that statistical analytics skill set, and they look at it from a mathematics perspective. So it's a completely different take on it. I would have thought you've been on a sort of similar journey where you're asking simple questions that that finance people, you know, can't necessarily answer because they have always done it that way before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, I might not get popular by saying this. I never liked accounting. <laughs> already, already back at the university, I really had a hard time with accounting. Right. And it, it's super ironic since I'm working with it now today. But I think that was actually a benefit because I was questioning it all the time. I did not believe in in the set standards and the ways of working, but I was questioning it all the time because, as I said, I didn't really like it. This has led me to a couple of revelations along the way and maybe back to what you said there as well. Okay, why do we do accounting? And this is something I've I've asked a lot of CFOs and I've I've sort of like double-checked my own opinion on it. And we do accounting for two reasons. One is because the law requires us to do it. And the second one is for some kind of internal control. We need to know our revenues and our costs in in some sense. We need to categorize it. Now, you know, if you're closing of accounts, you don't really need that many accounts in your chart of accounts. That you do actually for the internal control part. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about what, what is accounting, it's data categorization. It's nothing else. It's actually, I don't know if the term accounting is even getting obsolete because it's only data. It's nothing else. It's rows and it's tables and we just categorize it. This is really important for people to understand. It's not special data. It's just data. You know what? I recognize what you're talking about there. And I don't think it's too controversial to say that you didn't like accounting and you're trying to kind of improve the role or the learning that you were having because I talk to a lot of people and there's almost like this emerging theme of reluctant accountants (laughs) and it's almost like the reluctant accountants are the ones who are saying look I don't want to be doing the the low value tasks in this role I don't necessarily want to spend two years in every finance operations role before I eventually start talking to the business and being commercial and I think it's people like yourself who don't like accountancy and are trying to think of new ways to go about what we do, which is reporting, whether it's from a compliance perspective or a management perspective, and adding value and partnering with the business. I think it's people like yourself are absolutely in the driving seat for the future. I've encouraged a lot of reluctant accountants, I suppose, to speak at the various things that I do because I think their voice is really important. And one example of that, right, you you mentioned tax and starting out in the tax journey. There's a lot of tax accountants out there and there's there's a lot of bookkeepers out there who do tax returns. You know, that's still wrong in a number of cases. You know, you see a lot of people complaining about, you know, the return that could have been better if we'd have done something in a particular way or it's just just plain wrong. You know, the tax accountant has made an error. And I think that's sort of driving us towards, you know, more automated environment. And there are companies out there who are providing that offering. Did you learn something specific about 
the tax problem that you took forward? Well, I actually, I, I do. I think, you know, tax is a consequence. And a lot of the systems today, they're trying to make the tax sort of like, you know, in the system. How would I explain this? So, sort of like, for me, when you're managing the information, it's like, who's the buyer? Who's the seller? Where is the product coming from? Where is it going? How is it being used? And that creates the premise for how the tax will be decided if it will be VAT or, or something else. Now, it's not on the transaction where that should be determined. Today, we send the invoice with you know, VAT on an invoice. But the problem there is that, okay, is that correct VAT? You now you have to determine all of these factors in order to understand that value added tax on that invoice. Now, that means that for systems to understand this, they need to understand who is the buyer, who is the seller, who's, uh, is, are they VAT registered, where's the product going from, and where's it going, in order to automate the tax. Now, the problem, if you don't do that data management properly from the start or from the get-go, you will have problems in automation. So, so it's always about the quality of the data and the quality of the structured data that helps the automation part. And that's why I think a lot of automation initiatives, they just take a slice and, and they sort of like sub-optimize some certain function within a larger process. But what people need to realize is that, hang on a second, this whole process might need to change entirely. Yeah, which leads us perfectly onto the third point that you made around process. Before I come on to that, you know, your take on sort of, there's lots of buzzwords out there and, and automation is one of them. But looking at a capability rather than a buzzword, you know, robotic process automation, RPA, which for listeners who don't know, it's, it's, it's a software that basically, you know, sits in your environment and it performs the key strokes that a human would, would make to carry out a task, a task within a process, an AP process or a sales process. You know, to your point around maybe the process being the problem and these RPA projects not delivering as much value as, as you think they should, you know, what would be your advice to people who are potentially looking at that RPA project because with the capabilities maturing and we're starting to see more use cases, great, but we're also starting to hear about how not to do it and the failures around RPA projects. So have you got a point of view on that? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, RPA, I mean, wonderful technology. But to me, it's a bit like duct tape, you know, it's a quick fix for something. And it can be great. I mean, duct tape can also be really great. But it, it's not something that you normally, if you, if you do something, I need duct tape. First of all, you should understand your whole process. And you could understand that, okay, I need to fix this maybe with RPA from the beginning. But am I actually happy with the full process? What is my long-term goal? in changing my data management or my processes. What's my long-term goal here? And you need to understand that long-term goal. And when you have set that long-term goal, then you can come back today. Okay, what can I do today to just fix my process? What do I need to start changing in my processes or, or data management in order to drive me forward towards my goal? And people don't really take that time to do that. And I understand everybody's super busy. But you should not go out to the market and say, I need automation, I need RPA. But you should start first by looking at, okay, what information am I managing and why? Yeah, just to challenge your thinking on that one. You know, if, if I'm a CFO and I've heard about this capability that could potentially replace a person, you know, why do I have to 
look at the whole process or this longer term vision, if say within two or three weeks, I can put a bot on my desk and, you know, automate some of this low value work that say, uh, you know, report creator type role is doing or a, an AP manager is doing. What's the sort of duct tape scenario versus the, this sort of wholesale process change? Yeah, well, first of all, if you won't do it, your competitors will. Because uh, there's yeah. a constant pressure, of course, of, of improving constantly because we're all here in order to provide customer value. And that should be the driving force for everybody. And I think a lot of people should actually understand that even if they're just a small cog in, in the wheel in, in large organizations, they're still there for the customer. And I think that's also, if you spoke earlier about the entrepreneurial part, that is being entrepreneurial. Understanding that, yeah, my function here, it is vital, it is important, but and maybe in some instances, it's actually not important anymore. It is being automated away, but it's actually for the better for the customer, and then I need to approve it. Then back to the, the duct tape part. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, the managing of data in, in organizations, that's for the leadership. It's a strategic question for every organization. And it's actually trickling down from there to, to CFOs and actually to everybody in the organization. So I think whether you start changing the processes, I understand there will be a, quite a big reluctance to change in a lot of organizations and coming already from the leadership because they might be looking at their quarterly result. Whereas again, you need to do this because you need to survive on a five-year term or basis. Just take uh, by my objects or example that I always use is, is Nokia. In five years, they went from almost 50% market share to 3%. Yeah. That's extraordinary. I don't know if that has happened in history before, but at least not in, in recent history, I believe. It's a tremendous change. And these things do happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fascinating sort of journey that we're all on. I think, you know, you having started this sort of so long ago, you know, makes it very interesting to sort of your point of view but what would you say is the sort of significant change because if 20 years ago or, or probably that long you know 15 10 years ago you were working in this sort of analytics space dare i say it machine learning you know statistical modeling space why is it becoming such an important capability for finance now and cfos now and where it wasn't 15 years ago I think the biggest change is probably the pace, how information is flowing today. I mean, we have, we have payment terms, 30 days, 60 days, or, or whatnot, because information was slow before. Now, when everything is becoming digital, it's becoming more and more fast-paced. We have the Internet of Things. We're starting to build digital ecosystems, which means that uh, from a CFO perspective, you need to understand this. You need to understand what the product is, how the information flows are going. What will be my pricing for my products in my organization? What happens? Uh, how does that pricing drive customer uh, behavior, for instance, as well? I mean, it's all entangled. And the more digital it becomes, the more entangled it is. Yeah. And it's not only about my organization and it's not only about the customer. It's also about my suppliers. Right. Interesting. When you talk about sort of suppliers and supplier relationships, I've got quite a strong view on that because I, I worked for a company in the UK that was very customer focused, but also very supplier focused. Would you say that your approach to, to supplier management changes with this capability? And is it a good or a bad thing? Because I, I almost feel that customers are number one, but suppliers are only a sort of 1.1 now rather than lower down the list. 
I'm sure there are differences between different industries. So I'm, I'm generalizing quite heavily. But what I think is that we're, we're all sort of like in a vertical. My suppliers, I need whatever products or services I'm buying in order to package it in some sense, in order to sell it forward to my customers. And the better this vertical is working, the cheaper I can probably provide this to my customers. If I have a good relationship with my suppliers, where I can actually automate all my purchases and administration, therefore, I think the suppliers can provide their services and products for a cheaper price. And I'm sort of like now going out guessing here, but have a look at Tesla. I mean, what did they do? They create their own factories for, for batteries. Why is that? Because probably they can create their vertical and sort of like embed it into their whole process in order to provide the product to the customer. Yeah, and I suppose in a manufacturing environment, your sales and operations you know, go hand in hand. It's what can you produce as much as what can you sell. It, and it's normally your supply chain that, that's the limiting factor there. So the more you can control your supply chain, the more you're going to be able to sell. I just think as, as a sort of, particularly from the experience that I've had at uh, John Lewis partnership in the UK, that, you know, the supplier was treated as fairly as the customer. And when it came to supplier transactions and dealing with queries and uh, payment terms and things like that, it was always done in a sort of fair way. Uh, you know, you weren't always looking to sort of extend terms or slow payments down as, as you know, some companies may to create a, yeah. a working capital. It comes down to also friction. I mean, you don't want friction because friction is a cost. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, that's a good intro into sort of Covalia itself. I think we touched on the process, but you're almost suggesting that the process is sort of valueless, almost detracting from what we're trying to do. And I understand that, that Quivalia is, is presenting a whole new sort of set of rules around the, the transactional process. So tell me a bit more about Quivalia specifically and the problem you're trying to solve with it. Yeah, I mean, what we're doing on our platform is that we're sort of looking for the whole either on procurement or, or sales side and looking at consolidating the information that we're managing in that process. So just as a quick example, Today, when we're doing procurement, we're buying, we're ordering items or, or products, and then we actually match it with the delivery, and then we get an invoice. Now you have three checkpoints in that process. You, you could actually have more, more of those as well. The problem being from a data management perspective is that it's actually the same line items that you're managing all the time, regardless if it's the, the order object or the delivery object or the invoice object and so forth. Now you're multiplying the same information many times over and quite often in many different systems. Whereas again, why should I actually do this if the information I'm managing is the same? So we're consolidating that information management and also looking at the functions of the persons in the process. Now, quite short, I've, uh, this is not actually the reality, but a bit uh, characterization of how I view it about the people in the process. We have people who are performers, you know, a person who is actually digging a hole. You have people who are actually information managers, people telling that, okay, you need to dig a hole over there. And then you have decision makers, people deciding that a hole should be dug over there. So most of us in organizations today, we're just information managers. We're just conveying information from one place to another, which means I can be automated. The functionalities are actually the approval points in a process. And the approval points are, are, of course, the order and the delivery. 
But what else am I doing in that process? Because I'm basically just pressing an OK button, simple as that. But if you have a look at the systems today, they can be extremely complex. Take a lot of time for the people to enter in the uh, correct data and so forth. And what we believe in is that this can actually be consolidated and simplified to the extreme. And, you know, we just scratched the surface on this so far, actually, on the market. It's a really interesting one. And I'm going to mention the B word here. And I'm curious about your thoughts on this. And it's not Brexit, because we don't talk about Brexit. It's blockchain. Now, the solution that you've talked about there, I've also heard blockchain consultants talk about where they're saying that, you know, we can create a frictionless transaction, you know, down our supply chain and each transaction has to be agreed 100% at each stage. And that would be managed in a blockchain to eliminate all of these sort of supplier queries and the friction that you talk about. You know, what's your take on blockchain and how is it different to what you're you're talking about with Cavalier? Yeah, hopefully I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, that I have to eat up, eat up my words later on with this, as uh, so it's on a recording. But, <laughs> well, first of all, blockchain, a really, really good technology. Tremendous technology has definitely its use cases. But, but first of all, I, I, probably an analogy again, if I want to build a house, I'm not going to ask the builder if they're using a hammer or what type of a hammer they're using. That's quite uninteresting for me. I mean, technology can be an enabler. But when it comes to blockchain, I think it, it has its place. But centralized data is extremely good. It's efficient. I mean, have a look at Google. We all, almost all go to Google, do our searches. That's because it's centralized. So there's a value for that as well. And there's speed involved in having it centralized. So I think, you know, organizations need to understand where to use a certain type of technology, but don't just run after the next buzzword because that won't work. You need to understand, you know, what tools will you be using for which function or solution? I like your take on that. And I think, you know, there's lots of people out there who they're sitting on the fence when it comes to blockchain, but I still don't see a use case for it in the CFO space. I still have this sense that it's a sort of solution trying to find a problem. And if we are going to, you know, work differently, as you sort of say, fix the process, well, do you need a blockchain to do that? We're talking about a bigger problem here. And it actually comes around in the analytics as well and data management. It's like, you know, if you really want to provide, you know, real-time valuable analytics to the business, then you need a steady flow of data. Okay, how does that happen? Well, it's probably fixing your processes and automating your processes as much as it is around bringing in sort of data analytics, data management capability. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of with you on, on that one. So, yeah, so just looking forward, kind of trying to summarize this, you know, if everyone goes on that journey that you're thinking with Kavalia and uh, maybe not with blockchain and, and the other capabilities that's out there, you know, in 10 years' time, what does the finance team, finance operations team look like? And what's the sort of impact on the people who are working there now? Yeah, I think that change will be quite tremendous especially on a 10-year scale. Well, first of all, if, if we have a look at what we're trying to do on our platform, that is that we can provide all the necessary information on the transaction, for instance, the invoice, so that when it comes into accountancy, you can just automate it. So basically, information just magically appears. We talk about like spend analytics, that you have the line item information on exactly how many iPhones did you buy last year, who bought them, 
or what price from which or which vendors. All of that information will be available. But also making creating rules that if I'm buying iPhones, how do I want to have it in my accountancy? So of course, from that perspective, it will change. It will also change through automation. The whole market will change in vertical integration as well. I mean, today CFOs need to take a lot of different decisions on on you know various type of solutions. And I think the more automatic everything becomes, the more one supplier can actually provide it to the organization or to the customer as well. And then when we have a look at the CFO and what they're doing in their day-to-day work, it will be a lot more data-oriented. It will be a lot more closer to the customer, closer to the operational business. And in fact, it is the operational business. There is no operational part, administrative part. It all merges together because we're managing the same information. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. And I think it's one of the messages, I suppose, that I have to the finance team that so you touched on you know, operations not being sort of separated from admin and potentially, in my view, even finance. So that if operations have this capability first, where does it leave finance teams? Because if you fix the operations of the company and you fix the operational processes, then the value add that we you know, class in finance today will probably be automated out of that operational process. And what I mean by that is embedding analytics in your operational processes. You know, you wouldn't need a finance team to create a report for you on the same processes. And, it, you know, it's, it sounds a bit bleak, but it's like if the operations capability gets there first, then what does it mean for finance? And that's, that's sort of one of the reasons why I say to finance people, we need to start being more data aware, data literate, data savvy and learning about the art of the possible in this space because uh, it's in our absolute interest to do so. We've got the most to gain and the most to lose, I think. Yeah, and also, I mean, it goes back to universities and schools as well. I know it's a long time ago since I was in school, but, you know, you can't just pump out accountancy professionals and expect that market to exist. But you need to adapt and change. And as you said, also going, of course, and focusing more on data we're going to need people to manage rules. We're going to need people to train AIs and so forth. And we're going to need CFO expertise in order to have the right pricing for the market. I think we're going to, you know, A and B test pricing on a totally different level than we've been, been able to do it before because we have the direct information of the effect of what we do with our customers. Yeah, I think as much as I'm saying, you know, we need to move into this space and it will significantly impact what we do if somebody within the company gets there first. I always believe that there's a business partnering role. You have to apply the business context. You need the industry knowledge, the domain expertise to help build the AI and to help work with the data. And that that is a significant role. And, And you won't be touching any code even, you know, by doing that role. So, yeah, there's definitely a role for us. Uh, You know, there's no wholesale change here. And I think some of the things that we've talked about today, just to be sort of ultra clear, is it's about the transactional process and the tasks within those transactional processes. It's not about the strategic plan or the, like you say, the sort of strategic analysis that we might do on a whole industry or pricing. You know, that's that's a sort of long way away when it comes to using an AI or a statistical algorithm, right? Uh-huh. Well, look, thank you very much for your 
opinion today on what you do. It's great hearing about your entrepreneurial past. I think everyone should take a leaf out of your book there to become a bit more of a reluctant accountant, um, even if you love the numbers, just to sort of have that slightly different mindset about what we do. You know, I love your sort of take on how we, you know, need to sort of radically change fundamental processes and uh, starting with tax. I think you would have learned so much because like I say, you know, you still see problems in that space, even though it's, you know, highly structured and arguably sort of rules based. So it's ideal for automation and your sort of thought leadership on changing processes um, and how, you know, capability like Quivalia could help you with that. So uh, all the very best with your journey. And um, thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. And, and also thank you for a really good podcast. Thank you.